Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Welcome to part two of our series on assessment and PBL. On the last episode, we talked about general assessment practices in a PBL environment, explored some formative practices, as well as integrating rubrics into your class for students who may not have encountered them before. Over the next two episodes, we're going to dive deeper into some of the pieces of assessment in the context of the PBL classroom. One of the big pushes in education right now is the idea of integrating employability skills, or as we've referred to them in this episode, 21st century skills, into the classroom. These are things that have been identified by employers as skills that they are looking for in potential employees. Some of these skills are collaboration, communication, critical thinking, and creativity. So it makes sense for us to try to equip our students with these before they head off to college or into the workforce. It seems like common sense, but integrating these skills into the classroom can be challenging, especially when we look at it as just one more thing we have to try to accomplish through the year. But with the right mindset and the right tools, building in 21st century skills will not only help your students be more successful, but will most likely end up strengthening your practice too. Today we have an interview with global education consultant Dave Ross, where we go into depth with the ideas and practices behind 21st century skills and assessment. Let's get into that interview now. We're here today with Dave Ross, who is a global education consultant. Dave, can you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, As I said, my name's Dave. I was a classroom teacher for 10 years. I taught middle school in urban Los Angeles and developed some skills around what I later learned was called project-based learning. Then I moved to Northern California to teach at the original New Technology High School in Napa, California, and began to encounter the Buck Institute for Education. A few years later, I ended up as the senior director for the Buck Institute, co-authored a couple books around PBL, and that set off my career in nonprofit management. From there, I went on to the Partnership for 21st Century Learning as a CEO, a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., worked there for three years, uh, with sort of at the intersection of industry, academia, and policy, focusing on 21st century skills. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today. Um, We're going to go ahead and dive right in. What exactly are 21st century skills, and why is it so important for us to assess those in the classroom? Well, you know, the work around 21st century skills really began in the late 80s. There was a report that came out of the Labor Department in the U.S. called the SCANS Report, the Secretary's Commission on Acquiring Necessary Skills, because there was some concern in the business sector that students weren't graduating from high school and college with the necessary skills. That work um, prompted a lot of conversation inside and outside of the United States. And in the late 90s, there was a group of CEOs from some Fortune 50 tech companies that had the same complaint. Schools weren't graduating kids with the skills necessary to be successful. And the first challenge they came about was we really need to identify what those particular skills were. And then we really need to create an organization to define and shepherd that work. So P21, the Partnership for 21st Century Learning, was born in 2002. The work that P21 did with policy leaders, educators, business folks, academics, created the framework for 21st Century Learning. At the core of, though, 
are what P21 and almost everyone calls the four C's, creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, and communication. And then surrounding them are innovation skills, uh, ICT skills, tech skills, uh, a whole panoply of skills. So we've got this vast framework and everybody said, yeah, this is great stuff. This is what everybody should know or do. But there became a problem there. There really were no assessments. How do workforce people evaluate these skills? How do teachers evaluate these skills? How do university professors evaluate these skills? Because if they're really important and everybody says they're the key to success in college, career, and life is we need some data around this and we need to know if we're doing a good job. Yeah, I think I think that's you know the the heart of some of the the work that we um, as teachers in, in a PBL setting try to accomplish is you know how do we assess those twenty first century learning um, skills and outcomes and, and then ultimately help students grow um, in their development of those different uh, skills that we know are important for their life after high school. Uh, before we kind of dive into that connection, though, uh, what evidence exists um, or research that kind of supports? The assessment of 21st century uh, skills. If, if I were a teacher, where might um, I go to, to advocate that this is something that I should be doing in my classroom? Uh, that's a great question, and everybody on the planet is struggling with it at the moment. The first thing I want to clarify is, in the United States, we use the label of 21st century skills, but in other countries, they might call them core competencies or core skills or essential skills or things like that, but we're really talking about the same construct. And everybody in the world is doing uh, research on this. I've been working on a project with an alt school uh, in San Francisco to create a way to assess these skills. Uh, worked for three years with Pearson, the largest educational publisher on the planet, to do some research around the four C's in particular. Uh, I believe that content is still up on the P21 site, p21.org. It is available for free uh, free downloads. And what that was is sort of a meta-analysis of all the research being done on these skills and why they're important. I work a lot in China. The Chinese are trying to do this as well. They're trying to use performance assessments and rubrics to assess these. If you look at what PISA is doing in the developing world, is they're attempting to, PISA has its own framework for these skills. They're attempting to assess these skills. If you look at the deeper learning movement, which has existed for about eight years, is they may use different labels. They're trying to assess these skills. Um, the National Academies of Science, Medicine, Engineering have written two tremendous reports. Uh, Margaret Hilton and James Pellegrino are the authors. These are available for free load, uh, download as well. And then ACT has got a program called Tessera that's assessing these skills, and they've done significant research. And just this morning, I tweeted out a piece from the Brookings Institute that sort of takes a global look at what everybody's trying to do. So the research base is significant. Everybody's using their research base to try to create these assessments. Thank you. So uh, most of our listeners either have an interest in project-based learning or are already uh, doing project-based learning, uh, you know, to some capacity in their classrooms. Um, So what advice do you have for them or what would you say the role of 21st century skills plays in, in a PBL setting? Sure. Uh, when I reflect upon my career, what I realized was I was in the classroom for 10 years and experimented with something that I later learned was called project-based learning. And then I took a job at the Buck Institute for Education, and I know most of your listeners are familiar with that. And that's a nonprofit in California that does nothing but focus on project-based learning. 
And when I analyze the work, the Buck Institute focuses almost exclusively on the pedagogy of project-based learning and less so on student outcomes. Then my career takes a different path and I end up at the Partnership for 21st Century Skills. And it's an organization that focuses less on pedagogy and completely on student outcomes. And I thought, oh my gosh, the next step in my career, I really want to put these two things together. So I've been wrestling with an analogy. How does a good PBL teacher view 21st century skills? And the analogy I use is the DNA double helix. Is the DNA double helix, both sides of the helix, cannot exist without each other. So in the past, people have done uh, project-based learning focused on the pedagogy, and that's all they've cared about. Our people have focused on student outcomes, and they've really not focused on the pedagogy that supports and produces these outcomes. The challenge for PBL teachers is that we need to do both at once. We need to use a pedagogy that's going to produce the outcomes that I want. So, for instance, if all I do is drill and kill and lecture and use a textbook, and yet I say that I value collaboration, how in the world can my students develop skills in collaboration if I don't put them in groups and have them do some kind of cooperative work? If I care that they're creative, I need to teach in some fashion that's going to give students an opportunity for voice of choice and student agency. Project-based learning to me has been the best solution in the last 20 years about how to do that, to take a pedagogy that's going to produce the outcomes we care about. And I want to make sure your listeners understand is project-based learning or the skills movement is not exclusively focused on skills. The, the weave between content and skills is inextricable. The research shows that you don't collaborate in a vacuum. You're not, you don't critically think in a vacuum. You collaborate and critically think within a discipline. So the disciplines, the subject area knowledges are woven into it, and PDL does the best job of that. Yeah, that that's great. And I think for me, that was one of the lessons I learned early in my career in PBL is that if, if I want my students to collaborate, I can't just tell them to collaborate. They, they need to have um, some guidelines and, and some support and some scaffolding in, in doing that. Um, one of the things that our, our uh, attendees in our, our Magnify Learning workshops often ask about is how do I balance the assessment of, of my content, so math or science or social studies, with the, the assessment of these 21st century uh, skills and learning outcomes, you know, and, and if I'm just starting that process, how do I balance and find time to kind of do both of those things? That is one of the great challenges of the work. Um, for the last 20 years, I've wrestled that with that in my own practice in the classroom and in leading organizations. And it's even more complicated because, uh, let's, for instance, I live in Napa, California, and our local school district is called Napa Valley Unified. And so they took the P21 framework, which is big, has as its core those four C's, and added two more, community and citizenship. Well, that's great. But now you've put this incredible burden on teachers. And the teachers are really struggling with, okay, I'm accountable for assessing my kids' content knowledge, and now you expect to assess and teach six of these C's, how the heck do I do that? So one of the examples I use of an effective way to approach this is the work that Catherine Smith Elementary School, it's in San Jose, California, has done. They began working with the Buck Institute about a decade ago, and they faced the same challenge. So they talked, they looked at the P21 framework, and they looked at Kin K and Ed Leader 21's work, and they came to the Buck Institute and they said, 
okay, we're launching project-based learning and we care deeply about 21st century skills. How do we do them all at once? And the advice we came to was that you don't do them all at once is you really should, as you're launching this, focus on one skill. What is your community, your district, your school you value? Do you value collaboration? Then that becomes the skill that you focus on in addition to subject area. Do you care about critical thinking or creativity or something like that? The other thing that I would advise teachers to is that you have to look at um, the way you've designed a project. If you've designed a project that gives students tremendous voice and choice in how they demonstrate their knowledge, a website, a lecture, a play, cooking, whatever, is you have to design the curriculum, the unit of instruction, the project, so that it elicits that particular skill. Not every project is going to give kids full opportunities to develop all of the C skills. So you have to take a longer approach when you do this. The, uh, the analogy I use to make it simple for teachers, and it doesn't work anymore um, as well in the technology era, you know, like my phone, my phone is my camera. I take photos and I get a bazillion photos of my kids, my wife, my family, my travel, all in there. And then it's just stuff. And I look at these snapshots and they're fabulous, but they capture a moment in time and they don't tell a story. So I organize the photos on my phone into photo albums, experiential photo albums, travel trips, holidays, vacations, whatever. And then I'm better able to create a narrative because I've created in the old language a photo album. And that's really the approach that we have to take to assessing 21st century skills. If I give a test or a quiz, I get a snapshot. I get a, a, a photo of what a student knows at the time and that place. They may forget it tomorrow. They may internalize it and learn it but it doesn't tell a story over time. Um, the Brookings Institute calls these things learning progressions. And so when you look at how kids, kids develop these skills, is their ability to collaborate or communicate in September should be significantly different than how they collaborate or communicate in May, because hopefully they will have had multiple experiences and feedback and they've shown growth. So you really need to, one, narrow down your focus. Don't try to consume all the four C's or six C's or 12 C's at once. And you need to capture data over time. That's some really great advice for some of our teachers who are maybe newer to this concept um, and maybe feeling overwhelmed uh, by trying to assess all of, you know, all of these things at the same time by trying to narrow that focus. Um, but for our, our veteran teachers who maybe have been doing this for a little bit longer, they've been assessing 21st century skills in the classroom, how can they take that assessment to the next level? You know, that's a good question. And PBL has been popular for almost 20 years now. So you, you have, everybody's got a couple of teachers, maybe a lot of teachers, who has significant skills around project-based learning. As they know, assessment is always the greatest challenge when you're doing it. Designing a project, a good project, is the first challenge. Assessing the student work is the second great challenge. So one of the things that I work with veteran teachers on is triangulation, basically. Uh, every one of us went through a teacher training program in which they told us maybe the new folks got a different experience than I did, but you're the person who assesses student work and you are the voice of God and your decision is final and that's particularly it. That really doesn't provide a 360 view of assessment. So what I would encourage expert uh, veteran teachers to do is expand 
who the assessors are. You know, the first and the easiest step is to let students self-assess. And that can just be the source of a reflection. It may not impact their grade. The other thing is there should be peer assessments, and there's ways to organize peer assessments so they're safe, anonymous, uh, provide effective feedback. And then, of course, the teacher does this. Uh, One of the strategies that I use when I taught at New Tech in Napa was that for every project, a student would self-assess themselves in the four C's uh, three, uh, three or four times during every project. They would do peer assessments for people in their group two times during a project. And then I would assess them on how the students were particularly doing. And I'll give you a concrete example. As I, as a teacher, really don't know what the internal mechanisms of a group are. Did the kids really collaborate? I'm on the outsider. I don't know what that looks like. So it's only through self-assessment and peer assessment can I see inside that, that black box of how collaboration looked in a particular group. So there's this triangulation piece that works. And what I told my students and I showed them in my grade book was that my score of their 4C skills had no greater weight than theirs did. So I took 33% for self-assessment, 33% for peer assessment, and 33% for Dave's assessment. And that's how I produce their skills grade. Now, your really expert teachers are writing projects that allow kids to interact with experts, the community, professionals, uh, maybe a work-based learning experience, is you do a four-part assessment, self, peer, teacher, and expert advisor or mentor, and you combine them all together. I really like that. I think it, I think it provides um, you with a, a, an opportunity to really kind of develop that portfolio of, of evidence that, that shares and shows how a student's grown over a project. And so I think that's really um, great advice for veteran teachers who are looking at um, modifying or a- adjusting their assessment practices and looking at taking it to the new level. Uh, before we wrap up our, our interview, I think we've got a lot of really great um, pieces here, but if I'm looking at diving a little bit more into this topic, are there any like go-to resources that you have or, or would recommend books or, or websites that you think would really help uh, a teacher kind of develop their idea and understanding of 21st century uh, skills? You know, I, I will address that, and that's a great way to close the conversation. But one of the things I'd like to bring to the attention of your listeners is this is, as I mentioned earlier, my first career at the Buck Institute focused on a pedagogy, project-based learning, which I love with all my heart and I think is the best way to teach. My second um, career was with the Partnership for 21st Century Skills, which focused on 21st Century Skills, the student outcomes that we really care about. But over the years, I've worked in 15 different countries, and mostly my work has been in Asia for the last decade. And one of the biggest hurdles to the implementation of PBL in the student outcomes we care about, 21st century skills, is the creation of a classroom culture. Now, any, any PBL teacher who's got some experience at all knows you just can't throw kids into a good project, no matter how well designed it is, and expect to achieve the outcomes and content or skills that you care about. You have to do the groundwork to create a culture of inquiry, uh, create an, uh, a, a mode of thinking with students that their voice and choice and that they have agency and that they can express themselves. You have to create a culture in which students are able to fail, learn from their mistakes, get up and try again. 
the culture, I think, has been the biggest missing piece for the work strictly around pedagogy and the work strictly around skills. So what I would say that my newest interest, and I think the missing piece in my career, and this is entirely on me because I didn't think about this early enough, is this focus on creating a culture of inquiry so that PBL can thrive and that students can develop the skills we care about. So that's that's my bully pulpit speech. I'll stop on that one. <laughs> and we'll focus on resources I think there is a golden opportunity right now in U.S. education because never before has there been federal legislation that actually pushes us in this direction for project-based learning and 21st century skills. The law that funds K-12 instruction, everybody calls it SMB, Every Student Succeeds Act. If you actually look at the language of it, it talks about whole child education and social-emotional learning. Now, we, early in this conversation, we talked about labels. P21 calls them 21st century skills. The British call them core competencies. It really doesn't matter what the label is. If you look at the constructs of social-emotional learning, they're very, very similar to what P21 calls um, 21st century skills. So we now have a law of the land that requires us to educate the whole child. So there's organizations like uh, one of my favorites is CASEL, C-A-S-E-L.org. I think it's called the Consortium or the Collaborative for the Assessment of Socio-Emotional Learning. They're a not-for-profit. They have a ton of resources. The Black Institute, we really didn't get into the weeds of assessment, but the way assessment is looking now for these skills is performance assessments, and you can do those through projects in rubrics. But the important thing about rubrics is they have to be developmentally scaled. I can't use a critical thinking rubric in K1, K2, and use that same rubric in high school because mentally the students have developed far more. So the Buck Institute, BIE.org, offers rubrics that are developmentally scaled. There's a creativity rubric for K2, for 3-5, for 6-8, and for 9-12. So people are pushing in the direction of these developmentally scaled rubrics. There's a school district in Tucson, Arizona, where I used to live as a kid, called Catalina Foothills. They offer a bunch of developmentally scaled rubrics. Now, teachers who care about um, the research that supports it, the easiest ones to read, I think, are at p21.org. Those is the Four C's research series that we did with Pearson. It's available for download for free. And there's an executive summary that's written. There's one for school leaders and there's one for teachers. So there's a ton of resources out there. Some of them you have to pay for, and I'm not a big fan of that. Some of them are for free. Well, thank you so much for the advice, for the tips, um, for the resources, and for joining us today and uh, just talking to us and our listeners about um, this type of assessment. Thanks for being with us, Dave. All right. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Wow, Andrea, we had a really great conversation with Dave. This really gets me amped up about assessment. I'm ready to dig in and get to work. Me too. I really like what Dave said about intentionality behind assessing 21st century skills. It isn't enough for PBL facilitators to just say they assess these skills. They really need to think about how they're scaffolding the skills with the students. Collaboration doesn't just happen because you ask kids to collaborate or because you put them in groups. It happens when you work with the students on learning how to collaborate and give them tools to become better collaborators. I couldn't agree more. I also really like what Dave said about recognizing that assessment is a huge time commitment. So finding ways to ease the burden of assessment by triangulating the assessments, by asking students to self and peer assess, is a great way to ensure that you have more than one piece of evidence when giving a grade. 
I think my favorite part of the episode was when Dave talked about creating a classroom culture being just as important as the assessment tools. We've talked about the importance of creating classroom culture in past episodes, and I think we'll dig into it more in future episodes as well. Absolutely. For now, I think it's all about finding the courage as a teacher to take responsible risks in your assessment practices. I want to challenge all of our listeners to think about the way they assess these 21st century skills in their classrooms. Think about the assessment tool you're using and see if you can improve it. And then think about the scaffolding tool or tools that you use to help teach those skills. If you have a great tool, please share it with us via Twitter. We'd love to highlight some of your work on a future episode. On our next episode, we'll feature an interview with Dr. Michael McDowell, where we dive into one of Josh's favorite assessment topics, standards-based grading. I can't wait. Ready, break. Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook, where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at Magnify Learning. Or you can email the PBL Playbook at magnifylearning.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL Playbook with other educators.